Welcome to Logistics with Purpose, presented by Vector Global Logistics in partnership with Supply Chain Now. We spotlight and celebrate organizations who are dedicated to creating a positive impact. Join us for this behind-the-scenes glimpse of the origin stories, change-making progress, and future plans of organizations who are actively making a difference. Our goal isn't just to entertain you, but to inspire you to go out and change the world. And now, here's today's episode of Logistics with Purpose. Hey, everyone. Welcome and thank you for joining us for another terrific episode of Logistics with Purpose. Today, I am joined by my pal, co-worker, and one of my favorite co-hosts here, uh, Maureen. Maureen, how are, you, how are you doing today? Good, Christy. How are you doing? I am good. Excited about this interview. Um, Me this too. one is, is this has probably been our most interesting scheduling situation, and there's been a really good reason for it. We're excited to tell you about today's story, and just really excited to bring this um, to bring Brad here and bring this story to life. Um, some of you may have seen him on the news. Um, on multiple news outlets, but he has a really phenomenal story. We, as many of you know, have been working, when this will air, uh, we will have been working on the Ukraine situation almost since the beginning. Um, he has been working on this situation for a long time as well and from a completely different angle. So without further ado, let's welcome Brad Hendrickson, aka Bakhmut Brad, to the show. Brad, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate the invitation. Thanks. Absolutely. So, Brad, we're going to cover a lot of things today. Uh, but first, before we get into kind of what you're doing now and uh, what your day to day is and why we're here, can you tell us just a little bit about yourself and where you grew up and a little bit about your childhood that'll help us set the, the stage for, you know, leading up to today? Sure. I grew up mostly in the in the upper Midwest of the U.S., right? So born in Iowa, lived in Illinois, Wisconsin, Minnesota, North Dakota, you know, that kind of area for the most part as a kid. Um, uh, did your kind of standard small town mix of some sports and some music and, uh, read a bunch and watched Dr. Who reruns on, uh, you know, <laughs> PBS and, um, whatever else, uh, whatever else you, you might do. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think of what else to throw in, you know, it's directly relevant, but, uh, that's at least kind of the childhood yeah. area and upbringing. You know? Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, growing up in the Midwest, um, even you, no one gets to Bakhmut by accident. Um, you come from a completely different side of the world, which we're going to explore a little bit more as well. But uh, looking back, is there something from those early years of a philosophy, an idea, a story that shaped who you are and what you're doing right now? You know, some of the some of the earliest memories that I think would have some bearing on this, I guess, in in, in a sense, would be I I remember um, uh, very young watching the uh the iron curtain come down um i also remember uh, uh tiananmen square coverage i remember tank man um this guy who was just carrying a bag of takeout um walking up to a line of tanks saying you know to hell to hell with you and what you're here to do grew up in a, in a sort of church setting in a christian church setting and um i think you know boy a, lo a lot of things and that is that especially is sort of come to have a lot of different sorts of uh, heated opinions and unfortunate baggage and all that stuff. But I would say that the best of the tradition, um, the best of the tradition, I, I think helps inform um, a bit of, of uh, who I am and, and what would bring me here. Just, to, just fundamental questions of, uh, am I my brother's keeper? You know, uh, that kind of, that kind of question. 
I wanted to ask you a little bit about your career path. Uh, it's not a straight line to what you're doing right now. So could you provide a little bit of a little bit of history there um, that'll help us get to you know where you are, how you got there? Boy. Um <laughs> yeah, I mean I've done some construction jobs. I worked an oil job out in the Montana border for a while. Um I studied some history and philosophy. Um I worked at a fancy pants guitar shop in Midtown in uh in New York City. I've done some in-home caretaking uh with some elderly folks and um others with some sort of more in- intense uh, needs to have some some hands-on uh, care. Well, and then maybe the last 10 plus years, I've been um, building and repairing guitars. So I've kind of been sort of a chiropractor, mechanic, kind of guitar wrangler in a way. So uh, fine tuning, you know, adjustments and making everything play easy for your fingers and in tune and and get ready for the big show and whatever else. So um, that's been most of my work uh, for the last 10 years. When COVID came, I would actually taken myself and my work out from from the twin cities in, in minneapolis and st paul i went out to uh to back actually back to new york new york mm-hmm. city and that was just a couple months before covid uh shut everything down and so suddenly there were no shows anymore there was no uh networking you know sort of uh, able to get the word out and all that so um uh in in the moment of of my need to find something to get on with it and pay some bills and uh, New York's need uh, to meet um, the needs around COVID. I ended up driving a truck for UPS. Basically everyone went home, all the businesses were closed and the shipping volume was probably 20% above Christmas peak. It was just, just crazy and and completely unmanageable. And so um, we were all scrambling to get people their stuff as much as possible. I did that for a while and then um, uh, moved up to Maine. So I've been in Maine in the U.S. for the last uh, couple of years, drove a truck there as well, and uh, worked at a kind of fancy guitar building shop in uh, Lewiston. And uh, yeah, that's what I was up to when uh, when the news of this war hit, and I ended up coming this direction. Well, let's talk about what you're doing right now. I mean, I know Christy sure. has seen your NBC interview, and that's how we ended up here today. But can you tell us in the audience where you are, what you're doing? Um, we we really want to hear about it. Yeah, so I'm. I rotate through a few different locations and and uh, try to not make it too big of a splash about it. Um, I'm not trying to be sort of cute or coy or overly secretive, but just um, uh, Bakhmut or Krematorsk or Pokrovsk or um, towns and villages north of there and south of there. Um, I have a few different places where I can stay and and I'll be there for a day or two and then pop over to another location and just kind of keep it fluid and I don't really announce announced to others just in the area where i'm at uh it just seems just seems smart you know there's nothing to um i'm not jason Bourne. (laughs) you know there's nothing to to clandestine about what i'm up to but it just seems like you know you put your seatbelt on just as a kind of a good good habit just in case and you just kind of but for me since i'm just a a one-man kind of operation i'm able to be fluid with where i'm at so i'm in the donbass region of the far east of uh of ukraine and what are you what are what are you specifically doing there yeah, it's a mix of work. Um, it, it's really whatever kind of comes <laughs> onto my radar, it seems to be needed to be done. Early on in the spring, you know, March and April, uh, it was primarily um, uh, evacuations and, and aid delivery. Um, at the time, it was in, is, uh, in Lysychansk, which is a city even further east of here, which has since been taken uh, by the Russians. But we were trying to get and we're getting people out 
um, as much as possible before before they came in. So that work continues. I have uh, evacuation requests that come through, and either I go to or partner up with someone else. Uh, uh, you know, just for kind of rotating cast of a few other people out here doing similar stuff. So um, we evacuate people out of some pretty pretty dicey frontline, you know, uh, positions, which can be pretty pretty fluid as well, right? The lines can can kind of surge forward or push back. And uh, so you have to stay on your toes and drive with your windows open a bit to listen and um, check all your kind of your intel or, you know, the maps of just where the lines are and what seems, you know, reasonably kind of feasible and doable and what which ones you simply have to say, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't get there. So there's evacuations. There's also aid delivery, um, whether it's things that I buy with the money people donate or whether it's uh, other other kind of donation warehouse uh, connections that I'm able to kind of network into, I'm I'm not connected into that sort of scene as much as I would like to be. Um, I certainly have plenty of folks up and down the line here that I would love to bring even more to. Uh, so I'm all I'm all ears for how to kind of plug into that better. Some medical supplies at times get brought in, and then the uh, the animals here, right? A lot of abandoned uh, pets. A lot of people have fled and just not been able to take them with them. And so, what few people do remain um, have a pretty tremendous burden trying to come up with enough food, try, trying to do what they can. There, are, there are kind of um, makeshift shelters put up here and there. Uh, there was one in Kramatorsk that I went to today. I built a couple of dog houses there with some some good, uh, sturdy um, insulation and so forth. Today, I was adding uh, kind of flaps to the front uh, door of each one of them. There may be fifty of them there. Um, the whole thing had been hit by a rocket. A Russian uh, missile came in and, and uh, destroyed a lot of the fencing and a lot of the physical structures and you know injured some dogs and so forth. Um, so there's a real need there. And uh, that's part of what I do on the kind of rotation of what I do uh, here is is help out help out with animals uh, here and there, um, evacuation work and aid, aid delivery. I've read some articles and I've seen some videos of what's going on there with, with what you've seen you know, being broadcast worldwide? Does it match up with what you feel like you're living day to day? I mean, I'll be honest, I, I don't really follow a lot of a lot of coverage, you know, yeah. um, so, so I don't have a good sense of what that looks like. My my sense is that, you know, understandably so. But, um, you know, the, the coverage emphasizes the pain that the, the, the loss, the death, etc. I don't know how much of the coverage emphasizes um, the good and important and, and somewhat sort of tedious and and not particularly kind of Hollywood work. That lots and lots and lots of people are doing. So it is certainly in the hottest of spots in Bakhmut in particular, and and other places like that, that don't happen to be as as well known by name. Um, it is certainly very grim and very violent and very very sad and very serious. There is, in addition to that, all of the other kinds of work centering around kids and elder care and. Um, construction and food transport and preparation and um, just sharing and pitching and helping in up and down the line. A lot of Ukrainian folks are doing all kinds of work that um, from what I can see anyway, there aren't a lot of sort of, you know, in-depth coverage of of that sort of thing. So I I don't know if that helps, but uh, it it seems to, you know, what coverage can be done and, and, you know, small bits that I've even been, uh, you know, one example of, uh, those seem to be reasonably sound as far as kind of how how they're, I don't feel like there's some, you know, mischaracterization, I guess. I would say though, that it's surprising how, how loose things are, how informal things are. It's just people who decide 
excited to show up and got a vehicle somehow. And I'm one of them. <laughs> there isn't really sort of a formal, like a, I mean, as we might think in the US, like a FEMA oversight. Right. I'm not part of a, a group or team or, and so forth. And, and even those who are, are largely a, a, a quote organization, you know, on paper or on a website only. A number of folks are doing good, good and important work. Uh, I will say it's also true that there's, that there's plenty of folks who shouldn't be here. And that, that's just also another kind of part of the reality of who, who you work alongside, who you partner with, who you kind of share what you're up to with and so forth. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a strange kind of, I don't know, wild west is the, is an appropriate way to describe it, but it's, yeah, it's like, it's like nothing else. <laughs> I'll say that. For sure. Well, I, and I know I'm sure a lot of people listening, and I know you've already been asked this quite a bit as well, but you are there on your own. You did come from the Twin Cities. You are not like a military veteran or something like that. So, you know, a lot of us want to help out during a humanitarian crisis, but it is a, a minuscule number of people that would hop on a plane and enter a war zone to conduct supply runs and evacuations. Um, why did you decide to join this effort? Yeah, it's it's certainly a, a complicated answer and one longer than maybe we, <laughs> we have all the time to unpack. Um, I guess I will say a couple of things. One is that um, on the military bit specifically, mm-hmm. um, there are plenty of people who have uh, some military background um, who who have not been um, sort of equipped or or shaped or formed into competent, good, um, decent workers here. That's simply true. And and I would say that anyone who's been in uniform uh, would recognize that fact as well. Uh, and conversely, there are plenty of folks here who haven't had and to have had a military background, um, but who are who are uh, eminently capable and and diligent and um, sort of worthy, you know, sort of assets here. So sometimes that the military um, bona fides uh, get touted a bit, get more than than I think that they're sort of they ended up getting more than is warranted yeah. at times. So anyway, my background on that aside. A handful of things have gone into bringing me here. You know, some, as we mentioned earlier, it's kind of younger, early childhood um, kind of imprints. The three things that I've kind of, I wouldn't say summed it up as, but three key pillars to this uh, would be as follows. One is, and I'm, I'm actually surprised that this has proven to be true just in my life, but one is poetry. There are some, there are a, a number of pieces that have uh, in the last maybe five, 10 years, I didn't grow up as a poetry guy, you know, I kind of knew a handful, you know, you have a class or two, you know, some famous ones, you're required to write something in fourth grade or, you know, whatever, but uh, I, I didn't grow up, um, it, you know, particularly uh, steeped in it. But um, there's a handful of pieces, a few different voices have kind of really brought me along to kind of help, help uh, tune my ear. To, to quality work. Um, and so there, there was this poem that's a bit on the nose in a way. It was actually written by a poet uh, named Ilya Kaminsky. He was born in Odessa. And the name of the poem is uh, We Lived Happily During the War. And so it's his reflections on um, writing from a from a position of, of safety and reflecting on um, what that is like uh, while others are in, in, a, in a context of war. Mm-hmm. Um, the opening line is something to the effect of uh, when they bombed other people's houses, we protested, but not enough. We did this, but not enough. We did this, but not enough. And then it kind of closes out by saying, you know, in the, in the something, something along the lines of, and, and I and my, on the, on the street of money and the city of money and the country of our, of money, we, and then in parentheses, he says, we forgive us lived happily during the war. And I was aware of that poem some years ago. Um, but of course it just came, you know, 
sure. flooding to mind in this context. So that poem in particular, and also a number of others, uh, really kind of wriggled past just the sort of analytical consideration of it all and really got in there in my bones and got a hold of me um, in a way that I've been surprised by even in hindsight. I've actually posted a handful of ones that come to my mind from time to time on my little uh, Facebook group about being here uh, for some friends and family. But so some poetry. Uh, another category would be um, sort of public political rhetoric. And so maybe um, John McCain's words of support for Ukraine, even in the late aughts. And Applebaum is a, uh, uh, is a woman who's um, quite an expert on sort of Soviet fallout and uh, reality and so forth on, on Eastern Europe. She's written a number of pieces for the Atlantic and and been um, featured on a whole host of programs and so forth. But she's been a, a helpful voice for me uh, for some years. Uh, there was a senator from Nebraska named Ben Sass who gave a gave a couple of I thought pretty pretty good and clear and and forceful speeches early on in the war that I found helpful for me to to sort of think it over and and also think over what what sort of purchase all of that might have on on me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then the third thing is, as I said kind of earlier, I recognize that there's so much tension at times and kind of culture war, battleground, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, I, I come from a Christian background, and I think that the very best of that tradition, the wisest of voices, the most faithful of voices, have had a lot of good things to say to me about considering sort of just basic kind of hierarchy of, of priorities and um, what we're here on the planet to do and um, who we might do that for you know, et cetera. So those, those three things combined with everything else of the last, you know, 40 some years. So that's, yeah, <laughs> that's a bit of the backstory, at least about what brought me out here. So Brad, what do your family and friends think of all this? Like, were they part of the process as you considered <laughs> this or did you announce it after the fact and you're, or like I needed to ride to the airport and then you like, how did, can you talk us through, you know, how that communication went and and what their thoughts were and, and are still, because you've been there. How many months have you been there now? 10, maybe mm-hmm. nine, nine or 10. Yeah. I, uh, I could feel it sort of creeping on, you know, in, in, in late February, early March. And I would kind of mention that in passing to a few folks that I was thinking about it, or at least moved by the situation, et cetera. I don't remember the, the the precise timeline. I will say that it surprised not only other people; it surprised myself. I had actually, I had actually bought a little uh, school bus. <laughs> I wanted to say the first week of March, and uh, I think that I came. I picked it up in another state and I drove it to to Maine. I want to say that it was like the night, a Friday night, and uh, I put a, a picture of it at nighttime parked in this driveway of this this place that I was at in Maine, and. Uh, you know, said something, posted something like, oh, I did a thing. And I was thinking to myself, yeah, so over the course of March and April, I'll spend, you know, a few of these bucks I've kind of saved up from UPS and uh, I'll um, turn this into a way to live kind of out of the the rent scheme, maybe um, go to a CNA program or something else in the main area. I'm not really sure. Boy, it's crazy how fluid all this is, but, you know, this is, this is the next project I think I'll do um, after looking at how much, uh, you know, we keep spending on rent every month and, and um, I wasn't still not in any kind of position to buy. And so it seemed like something that I uh, had in me and could figure out how to do. And that was a Friday evening. I came home with it. And uh, by Saturday or Sunday of a day or two later, it's just, it, it, it sort of clicked in a, in a, in a surprising way. And I have to, I have to go the same reaction that we all have when we see this coverage of such um, just, just, you know, horrific and outrageous things, the, the indiscriminate pain on, 
civilians, you know, maternity wards being bombed right early on and um, just all, all kinds of really just unthinkable things. And, and it's one thing to, you know, change your profile picture to have a flag of a country, you know, next to it. And, you know, honestly, I think shows of solidarity really do matter. And I'm not, so I'm not trying to poke at anyone, including my own self who does that in other circumstances, but that normal amount of, uh, of, uh, sort of the extension of our hearts toward others that we really aren't, don't have the things that are sort of lined up in our lives to be able to go and be there. It was sort of this just smack, I guess, where it was, uh, you know, I, this is sort of this, uh, somebody should do something. These people need help. Right. And it turns out like, oh, that's, I gotta go. I have to go. I have to, and I, and look, I still don't, I don't know what I'm doing <laughs> you know, like in a way. Right. Like I, I didn't, um, I, I didn't even know what I would be doing here. Um, I brought, I brought sets of scrubs. I brought, um, I brought all kinds of different options. <laughs> that, Did that, you sell that, the bus or do you sell the bus? No, it's, it's fr- sitting in a friend's driveway in Maine. Um, wow. Still with all the seats in it, still not in any way worked on. I have no idea what the next chapter is for that uh, yeah. when I get back. But um, yeah, so it kind of came out of the blue in a way. Uh, the, the, the weight of the, the, the gravity and the grief and the just the totality of it all came to a point where I was like, well, I, I guess I have to go figure something out and 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 sort it out as I go. You know, it's sort of leaping out of the plane and then learning how to sew and make and pull a parachute on while you're plummeting toward, <laughs> toward the ground, you know. So reached out to some friends and, and had an introduction from a Canadian friend who knew a guy who had been born in Ukraine but was now in Canada and had some business connections there. And he reached out to some folks that he knew. And so I had a place to stay for the first couple of months, um, kind of get my bearings and introductions and so forth. And I've progressively moved further and further east. And uh, now I'm now I'm out here and then there's kind of a, a decent uh, rhythm, you know, to the, the work in front of me. Well, let's talk about some of the, the hopeful stuff that is going on there. Um, you, I, I'd like to hear it kind of on two different fronts. One about your, men, you mentioned some of the coverage isn't highlighting what other people are doing enough. So um, the good things that other people that you're seeing on a daily basis that Ukrainians and other people are, are carrying out as well. So give us a couple examples of that. And then um, tell us also just a couple stories from your own perspective, people that you've helped worked alongside some, um, some good things that have happened along the way on this really difficult path. What what I know about the work that Ukrainians are doing for one another is that I barely know any of it. You know, mm-hmm. so much of it is done. Um, I mean, I when I arrive, it's suddenly ah, well, the Americans here to mm-hmm. to say hello, to drop off some stuff, to chat yeah. a little bit, and then okay, bye bye. You know, mm-hmm. and then they and then they go back to their 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 rhythm. Um, what I see is a lot of um, I see a lot of tenderness. Um, I see a lot of assistance with. Um, with uh, meals, you know, it's it's far more efficient with firewood and uh, meal preparation and so forth for a, a building or sort of a cluster of folks to cook one larger pot and, and share what they have with each other. I see plenty of folks with difficulty uh, moving up and down stairs and so forth being helped um, as just a, a, a routine matter, no matter whether someone's personally directly kind of related to them or, or connected or, or whether it's just um, someone else on a on a bus or a train or something like that. I see there are um, a few different places where there's uh, a handful of guys who are have some kind of you know kind of carpentry or construction background who kind of swoop into a place that's even just very recently been damaged and they swoop in and do all they can to try to seal something up. You know, keep a bit of the cold out, put a bit of uh, 
bit of shelter back, you know, to, to their, their friends and neighbors and just sort of countrymen. But I, I know that there's, there's so much work that I just understandably so, you know, wouldn't uh, be kind of invited to and, and, and be there alongside. I have, I have gotten to know some people in some places um, well enough where I can actually, I've been invited and have stayed overnight with them from time to time. These are kind of few and far between a handful of different locations, but um, it's been, it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's intense. It's, um, it's a lot of weight to just uh, kind of bear witness to that. And what about some of your own kind of stories? Most sort of dazzlingly, there's been, there's some evacuations that are, are so, I don't think they're reckless. I guess I'll say it that way. I don't think they are, but there's, the need is so very bad. It's so close to the line. In a way, it, it, it can be frustrating um, that folks have, have known that they could have evacuated earlier and they've been kind of in denial or otherwise you know, holding out hope upon hope that, that something will work out and they won't have to kind of abandon all that they've worked to put in place. But um, but for some folks, by the time we get there, street to street fighting with rifles is, is you know, a block or two away. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes there was um, on a rather recent one, we were going up a street and we were in. We saw number one, number three, number five. We were headed up to number 24. And I saw a Ukrainian soldier in a front yard of number five. And we got out and spoke with him and said, hey, we're going up to 24. Is that going to be okay? And he said, no, 24 has Russians in it now. You need to turn around and get out. And the Ukrainian shells that came over our heads from behind us and land on that position, the the dirt from those explosions came up and landed on, on us in our vehicle as we were turning to scramble and run. So that kind of thing happens from time to time. And it's it's... It's it's intense, and to be able to get people out of a position that is that is so so overwhelming for them to be in, right? No one should have to endure that, and it's unfortunate that it's down to the wire like that. Um, but for folks that we are able to get to and do feel like we can kind of scoop up and get out right now, you know, with a quickness, and we're this is places where we know the routes and know our options, and right. we're really trying to um, do our due diligence on that as best as we can. Being able to to, to be that, you know, is obviously pretty meaningful. You want to you want to come here if you're going to set aside everything else that was going to go on. You want to come here and do something that's actually meaningful, right? And so, um, there's been some of those roles. There's been other other places I've I've just gone to just by myself, uh, well off the beaten path, and found people in buildings you swear there couldn't possibly be anybody in, um, but have been bringing um, uh, food for for them, food for actually a lot of the animals they're caring for. Uh, some of those folks have actually been in Solidar, which uh, very heartbreakingly has just been taken in the last uh, handful of days here. So there's there's people that has been a, a joy to see over and over again since the summer um, that now I it, it wouldn't be possible to get to any time in the foreseeable future. So anyway, just uh, badly needed aid. Um, I guess also another thing I'll mention is uh, wood burning stoves. Um, I have a handful of those in a garage that I can load up on when I have a day take a few of those and head head out to the, the edge and try to bring them to shelters that people have kind of cobbled together in place, but don't really have as many of those as they need for, for cooking, for just staying warmed in a, like an underground uh, cellar, uh, like a root cellar. So um, being able to provide those to folks uh, mm-hmm. in multiple, multiple instances, uh, people have, it's been, been such a, a, a game changer for them, you know, right. going from being so very cold to having now this, uh, this resource for them. So mm-hmm. things like that, I guess, have been some of the highlights here and some of the, the most meaningful work. So, so Brad, it's worth mentioning and kind of clarifying for our audience and just for our conversations that like you're there independently, you are not working for an organization, you're not representing an organization. You know, I know that you've worked with some nonprofits or humanitarian aid organizations over there. What's the benefit of the, what, what do you see as the benefit of the route that you've taken by being 
sort of an independent entity there rather than partnering partnering with some of those organizations that might have more resources or funds or accessibility to some of the things that you might be looking to source. Yeah. Um, I will say that some of the very largest and most kind of formal organizations that do have the funds um, are largely sitting on them. I'll just say it. Plenty of us have seen them sort of trolling around looking for photo ops to justify their presence and to um, encourage additional fundraising. Um, but where they actually go and what they actually do is is different than their well-produced commercials might suggest. It's uh, strange to see a lot of things. And um, I mean, it's just true. Seeing how the sausage is made really is different than the kind of um, tidy narrative that I frankly would have assumed, you know, yeah. I think it is, I think it is important uh, to learn about that. I'm not, I'm not trying to go out of my way to be in or provocative, but it's just true. So some of the larger groups really aren't out where I think the the most intense you know need is. Um, there are some other groups um, as well. A few are good, and and I've been glad to help them, and and been grateful for them to help me. There's one in particular. I think it's something to the effect of plain compassion. When I say crisis response, I think it's like PCCR is the name of them. Um, there's a guy, uh, and actually his whole family is here, three, four kids, I think, and wife. Um, they've, been, they've done this work in Syria and elsewhere. Uh, his name is Daniel, and I think that he's got a, a good head on his shoulders. I think he's here for the right reasons. I think the group that he's a part of is a, is, is a sound and also frontline organization. Um, pretty low-key folks and, and doing good and vital work. So there are a handful of people who have my number in their uh, in their phones, and we we sort of message and connect, and are happy to partner up. Or hey, can you drop this off? Or pick so and so up? Or you want to go in with me? Or I'll follow along in a larger van, and we'll bring your four wheel drive in for the front spot and kind of offload people here and there. I'm happy to connect with anybody who wants to call and who <laughs> who not only wants to call, but also wants to hold up their end of whatever agreement we might have. I guess one upside for me, and I don't know that I would recommend this for anyone else, but one upside for me is frankly the ability to say to anyone that I need to, okay, no thanks. I'm not locked into something. Um, I'm not locked in under someone. Uh, especially making sort of calls or decisions uh, from a position that isn't physically present here. I don't have that in me. I guess I'll say that. There are upsides to a, a more formal structure, right? Um, there are downsides <laughs> to to the approach that I've taken. I haven't known what I would be doing or how long I would be here. And so for me, I wanted and and it has it's ended up working out for me through a great deal of sort of somewhere between luck and providence that I'm able to continue as I am. But um, I, one other thing I guess I'll say about just being solo is that uh, when you do go somewhere, you're not going with this big caravan of vehicles and people and attention and so forth. It's just just one guy, just one vehicle. Don't mind me. <laughs> right. And I would much rather be not recognized. I don't have any decals or flags or, mm-hmm. you know, anything like that. Um, people recognize me, you know, once you've been there enough times, but it isn't the whole kind of, there isn't the kind of the, 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 the trumpeting announcement of arrival into town. You're not as visible from, from forward observers with uh, binoculars or, or overhead by drones. Um, even just being a solo, I've been targeted repeatedly quite clearly, um, that it's been specifically me, but, uh, boy, having any, any larger group, any larger number of vehicles all, all packed together as one unit traveling, I just, that kind of attention, I would prefer to avoid that. So it's, it's worked out again for me in this particular circumstance. Sure. Well, let's talk about um, 
now how your work is actually funded because you're on your own, not part of an organization. So the supplies you're talking about, the um, I know some are given to you, but you know, like you've talked about working on dog houses and you know all of these different things. So day to day, how is your work funded? When I first began, I I had these these um, sort of grand illusions of remaining unnamed the entire time I was here. I wasn't going to identify myself. I had a couple of friends who who were um, admins on a little Facebook group. And we would all just, we'd provide updates. You know, these are some medical supplies we purchased. Our volunteers heading over, you know, we've gotten some updates here. Um, but sometimes I would post something about our volunteer um, in the third person. And, uh, you know, he sent me this thing. He sent me this picture. Or this is the picture. Yeah, anyway. Um, I, I had hoped that that could work. If suddenly enough funding just descended, descended from the sky, there are plenty of folks here who, who come here to build the brand, who, who come here to take a lot of selfies, who come here to, to wear and buy the cool looking gear and to kind of have a sort of Hollywood vibe about themselves and, um, and to rake it in while they're doing it and, and to do so in a way that doesn't seem like they're here to sort of bear witness to or maybe document some, some intense and indeed grim uh, realities for a lot of folks. And that tone, that spirit, that intention um, was just something that I very much have continued to want to avoid looking like or smacking of, et cetera. What I did find, though, is that without a story, without a person for somebody to say, oh, the, the, yeah, the, okay, there's this person, they're doing this work, I have a better sense of that, and I, I sort of care. Without that, it, it's hard to get buy-in. It's hard to get folks to say, hey, here's 20 bucks for diesel, good luck. Oh, your tire got flat? Well, here's an, here's enough money to buy another tire, you know, et cetera. So somewhat just reluctantly, but realistically, I then posted a couple of things with my face, with my name. I also had a better sense of what would be reasonable, what would be safe, what could be done and wouldn't be uh, reckless, what wouldn't be something that you'd wish you could take back. You know, once you say something or mention something or check in somewhere or whatever, it's out. And there's a lot of eyes on a lot of accounts, whether we know it or not, right? So I wanted to have an abundance of caution early on and to gradually come to a place where I could could make more decisions on transparency there. There's actually a there's a journalist out here who had saved my name in her phone as Bakhmut Brad. And um, you know, a lot of us do that sort of a thing here, especially here. Um, many names are very, very common, right? If you said Igor, you know, 1900 Igors, right? You have to do add something else in your phone to make it, you know, a, a distinction of some sort. Usually the location and then what, you know, Igor um, in Dnipro, who's a diesel mechanic, is different than Igor at the hospital in Pokrovsk, is different than Igor at the et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, that was her suggestion was, hey, why don't you just kind of sum it up in, in that kind of way? It gives people already a sense of where you're at. And then there's then there's actually somebody to kind of something that you could really sort of hang your head on, as it were, somebody's story there that you could um you could you could support and kind of come alongside and, and root for. So there's a Facebook group called Bakhmut Brad. And um yeah, that's where we've kind of been posting um mm -hmm. a handful of updates. It really is it's not daily, it's not routine. Um these are just sort of some examples of some of the work that's being done, but I really uh, would need like a whole kind of, you know, social media handler or something if I was going to do that well. <laughs> and I, I wouldn't say that I am, but from time to time, I try to post some updates of some, some of the things that, that we're up to out here. Yeah. So people have just been sending you whatever they have cash available, um, to for you to just head to the store and buy whatever need you see in front of you right yeah you know there there was uh 
there was a kind of 15 minutes of fame splash. There was a, <laughs> that really did help, you know, so some coverage got out and the word got out a little bit more. Um, there was a, a guy in the far east edge, right on the front line in Bakamut, this elderly couple uh, and an artillery shell came into their home and wounded him quite badly and he was bleeding. And uh, there was just no one else who knew the area, no one else who was available, who wasn't busy with other work. Driving at night with headlights that close to rush, it's just nothing you ever would want to do. I didn't, I don't want to do it at all, you know, but I just, uh, but I ended up going and ended up finding them. I, I, I knew the location, I knew the avenues to take. Um, I could turn my headlights on just for a split second to see far enough, you know, 50, 100 feet to go. And then I would go, <laughs> go black again, drive out, turn them on just for a split second, turn it off. Um, I got where I needed to go, got him, brought him to the vehicle and got him to, uh, emergency hospital initially, and then onto a second, second hospital as well for additional x-rays and another care there. And, um, we've actually stayed in touch since then. So since that happened and it also happened <laughs> to be, uh, the evening of Thanksgiving here, that story got picked up. And so, uh, more folks than I, than I would have thought, you know, um, I've now kind of seen the group and pitched in their, their 20, 30 bucks towards some diesel and some spare parts and it, and it adds up and it helps. And now I have a little bit of breathing room where I'm not just wringing my hands flat broke and, uh, and I'm, I'm grateful, but yeah, it's just, there's just a PayPal thing. And now other people have asked, uh, well, what about Zelle? What about mm-hmm. uh, Venmo? What about whatever else? So I've tried to kind of one by one, set those up just to make them available when people That's have right. requested, but so those are there, they're, they're in place. There's a link tree, um, that, uh, my friend from the twin cities, uh, named Priscilla, uh, she and her husband, David, they've been real supportive friends over the years. Uh, they've been, they put that together and have been helping out. So th- that's how people could see and how, how people could pitch in. And that's, that's all I've been going off of. How do you think that you've changed personally through this experience? <laughs> Just a um, little, little question. It might be like just a loaded <laughs> question, but I mean, because like secondary to that is, you know, there's a physical toll, there's a mental toll, there's an emotional toll to what you're doing. You can try and prepare for that as, but you, but you didn't. You don't know what you're gonna get when you get on the plane and and go over there. And you've been there ten months, you know. So yeah, I I chuckle because I'm painfully aware of my own shortcomings. Uh, just just to say it, um, there are times, there are days, there are stretches that kind of comes and goes where I feel spread pretty thin, honestly. Right, the sort of emotional reserves for the normal rhythm of of um delays or imperfections or or just run around stories you get from folks here and there they they add up they're, they're, they're cumulative and they're, it's wearying it really is and so um part of what i am seeing is that the normal baseline is kind of kind of getting a little eroded out of there and i'm i'm feeling pretty um <sighs> there's a lot there's a lot still before me and there's a lot before everyone out here uh, every day and i feel like i need to keep showing up to it but i do i also do recognize you know uh how many times do we hear about the in an airplane right when the oxygen masks come down you need to put yours on first so that you're in a position to be able to to help others i recognize that one of the one of the ways that i've changed is that that it's it is wear, wearying and and and, and wearing in certain ways. I will say though, it's also been quite expanding in a, a sense of the compassion that, that's needed for folks, that there are plenty of plenty of circumstances that might, um, prior to being here, that might've just kind of seemed more easily um, dismissed or, or resented or, or whatever else. When you find yourself here over time, uh, at least for me, I find myself then better able to understand why it is that they're, um, they're coming from where they're coming from. And it's not a good place. It's not a healthy place necessarily, right? I'm not sort of supporting 
all things that come to pass, but it's certainly expanding, expanding in its own way. Um, just the human condition broadly and certainly circumstances here uh, rather specifically. I've had a better sense of <laughs> after having so many things, uh, so many commitments or assurances, whatever fall through, um, there really is having a backup to the backup, having having a reserve, you know, whether it's tires or parts or food or water or, or battery packs or just basic supplies, um, let alone a maybe backup uh, assignment, you know, work to do for the day in case the thing you had planned on and planned for, you show up and it just dissolves out from under you. Um, having something else then to fall back to another place to stay. If you'd line something up very clearly and then there it is and it's cold and it's late and it's time to, you know, kind of close up for the day. Um, it, it, having backups in that way, uh, in, in, in place, multiple sort of redundant backups, uh, the importance of that and the practice of having those in place is certainly something that's that's changed quite a bit uh, from from where I kind of came. I mean, it's really it's it's only ten months, but it's been a pretty long a lifetime of of months for sure. And um, I certainly came in with much more of a of a kind of happy go lucky like, well, we agreed to this, we planned for this. You said right. you'd be, you know, that's the time. You said ten o'clock, so it's it's ten, so we're gonna do the thing, right? Oh well, no, I I changed my mind. I didn't know. On and on and on. Just everybody's got something. Some of them are, you know, are the normal spectrum of, of uh, understandable circumstances that might come up. But but it's also a different kind of uh, <laughs> pattern here than you'd ever see um, in, in, in a setting in the States. So, so anyway, that, yeah. that's another, I guess, thing that's changed. <laughs> Okay, so I know that it's um, clearly there's a physical toll, there's an emotional toll, there's all the tolls, right? <laughs> so I guess, is there anything um, anything that really affects you more one way or another as far as an emotional toll and what kind of helps keep your spirits up in such difficult circumstances? I mean, it, it, is, it is wearying. I'll just say that. It adds up. Um, uh, it, it's nice to connect with folks uh, you know, friends and family um, a bit uh, when we have signal, when we have time, when the time zones and all that sort of stuff works out. My mom, a couple of months ago, asked me if there's anything that I really needed. There was a, she sent then a little um, portable light, you know, with a solar panel on top and then a couple of books of poetry that I had, <laughs> I had requested. So um, those have been interesting to uh, go through quite slowly, but plenty of it is just sort of, plenty of my downtime or kind of recoup time is just kind of Sleeping, resting, checking out—you know, kind of gathering my my thoughts and myself. It's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot to try to take in stride, and and some days are are so extraordinarily intense that um, I'm really not sure what kind of toolbox anybody could have to to process through some of that. I mean, let me also though say I've been spared so much of the most sort of intense or painful or grisly or whatever. I mean, I'm not trying to make myself out to be you know, something that's sort of over the top, but, but I will say that having, you know, being targeted repeatedly, having, you know, multiple shells blow up enough to close enough to leave your ears ringing and, and dirt thrown up on your, yourself and your vehicle is enough to get your attention. And that's mm -hmm. certainly not something that, that uh, most of us have, have had a history of taking in stride, not only just taking in stride at all, but taking in stride in a context where um, I would say, even with, with folks with a military background, you know, when you're, when you do have a military background, you have a background of being part of a larger group, a team, mm -hmm. and there's a support chain and there's medical, 
you know, evac possibilities and people alongside you with all this kind of training and, and firepower and, and uh, armor and vehicles and, and um, planning and oversight and all this stuff, right? Um, whereas here, uh, you, don't have, you literally don't have any of that. It's very, it's very just, boy, you're kind of hoping your, your van will make it, you know, on this run. You hope your tires will hold up. You hope a lot of hope and hope's not much of a strategy though. So um, having that, um, that thin of a barrier, I guess, between you and, and what might be just as a sort of perpetual reality is something I don't think any of us have had a background on or, or a sort of skill set to really build on of years of experience with that. So it's, that's a strange, it's a strange and, and um, intense portion of the, of the reality out here. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like too, from just our conversations over the past couple of weeks though, that, um, and I think you've already mentioned it here, but just talking about um, showing up to animal shelters and playing with the pets and things like that, that's been kind of a boost mm-hmm. here, uh, um, yeah. just emotional load as well. You know what? It's actually um, it's actually my birthday today, and I treated <laughs> myself out to um, <laughs> I treated myself out to a, a restaurant, and at the restaurant is both a wonderful cat who um, I've gone there a handful of times, and now we're pals. And it comes up just on my belly and just flops on me. And I can barely even sit up to, t- to take a sip of my drink because it just, just burrows in. And and then there's this dog as well. And uh, just the the goodest, bestest boy of them all. And yeah. uh, and we're pals too. And and that kind of uh, wind down, boy, that that really does. Yeah, you're right. That does make a huge, a huge difference uh, for me. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised by how much it does, but it really does. Yeah. Sounds like you'll trade that for a cake, a birthday cake. That sounds like a much better option. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 11 times out of 10. Yeah. I've had, yeah. I've had enough uh, refined sugars out here for sure. Yeah. <laughs> kind of on that note, when we're talking about like the emotional toll and the physical toll, you know, I'm wondering kind of what your thoughts or perspective on that, you know, you show up in a country and you're 100% dedicated to helping others and trying to make a difference. But I'm guessing there's probably a little bit of a language barrier. Um, but that also means that that's harder to make some of those human connections um, at the same time as you're also trying to affect change and communicate. Can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, other than it seems like you've made some, some four-legged friends there. <laughs> how does that, how does the other element of that play into your day-to-day? Yeah. Yeah. The, the language barrier is, um, is just nuts. I, I can't even believe it. Um, if I had had any kind of planning, uh, sort of, you know, if I if I knew this was coming up in advance of coming here, I would have definitely spent more time mm-hmm. trying to bone up on kind of Duolingo or something like that. Um, I've had some time here. Strangely, though, um, you know what? In a way, I think showing kindness and access and and um, the connection with people's animals helps telegraph to mm-hmm. the folks there where you're coming from. Right. Mm-hmm. And so even that in and of itself, without, without really any words at all can help, um, help impart a sense of, of, uh, of confidence, right. Mm-hmm. And just, and just kind of your, uh, the, the spirit of what you're there to kind of do and be also admittedly, most of the folks that I, I connect with, it's, it's pretty brief. You know, we're kind of there in passing there to either deliver some stuff and say, hi, ask if there's more things I can think about bringing or, or possibly affording. Um, 
um, ask them if they have any other specific kind of struggles or, or injuries, or if they know of anybody else that we should go check on. Uh, evacuations are pretty straightforward. Get in, get out, <laughs> let's get going. You know, um, these are your bags, you know, um, go, 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 go. Uh, so there isn't, there isn't a lot of room for conversation or a lot of need, you know, for, for in-depth conversations, just not a lot of opportunity for it. And they've got a lot on their plates as well. They're not, I'm not trying to show up and obligate them to something um, beyond uh, beyond what, what what we're there to sort of connect over. Um, but a handful of people, um, some families here, a couple there, you know, um, some, some soldiers here and there, either they do know um, bits and pieces of English enough to work, or I have um, languages downloaded to my phone on Google Translate. And so even if we don't have any internet connection, we can still type in and it'll translate it over. Uh, if you keep your sentences pretty short, simple, Google can do a, a sufficient job, you know, for 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 getting across what you're getting at. And um, it's been it's been strange how to 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 find how universal some aspects of humor are, right? How mm-hmm. hilarious! So we have, like we've never we have no history, no background, don't even speak the same language, and yet even through translate, it can still make some pretty <laughs> pretty uh, pretty hilarious pretty hilarious sort of gallows humor, you know, in the face of some pretty gr- grim circumstances. So. Yeah, Google Translate and um, and and fragments of, of English and other sort of nonverbal gestures. You know, if you you know are indicating food, right, or or um, you know injury or other things, you can sort of convey um, you know with sort of hand gestures in a way. Uh, or I learned one or two words here and there, but I really can't. I can't have a conversation, and it is a a real barrier. And yet, it does simplify things in a way that you can kind of cut to the chase of 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 what you're there to chat over, what you're there to learn about, um, what you're there to kind of wish each other well and and hope that it works out to see each other again. And and with that, we're sort of on our way to the next folks and and let them get back to their, you know, the, their responsibilities in front of them as well. Yeah. Well, you've mentioned, um, you know, uh, diesel and food and medicine and pet food and um, just some of those things that you're providing on a daily basis or as needs come up or as, you know, donations come in. Um, what are some of those um, things that are consistently coming up for you that you see a lot more than others that uh, we should be aware of, both um, just that maybe needs in general? And of course, um, if people want to donate to you, then knowing kind of the things that you're going to be out providing to others. Yeah, my um, vehicles are are far away the the number one um, the number one thing, and I, what I mean by that is the number one asset, the number one game sure. changer, the number one lifesaver, the number one must have. Mm-hmm. And so I just picked up my van, which is pr- pretty banged up in the front end. Uh, picked up my van from a uh, a mechanic uh, just a few days ago. Um, the serpentine belt had broken while I was driving, and all of a sudden, a whole lot of things went out all at once. It was a pretty pretty critical repair. My four wheel drive Toyota, which I'm very grateful that I've been able to have enough to get one. Though you you pound anything over all these roads up and down and left and right, and uh, eventually the front end just becomes so kind of loose that you can't get the alignment right back on on track. So it's actually at a a, a formal Toyota dealership um, getting some pretty major repairs. Um, mm-hmm. I got an email about that actually about an hour ago. It's going to cost another couple thousand plus, you know, dollars to to get it up to speed. Um, there's another part they actually were going to order, and it'd take a couple months to get it. So, I'm not quite sure, but um, it has some pretty robust, uh, uh, hardy tires on it, so they're able to get me around. But they cost, you know, two three hundred bucks a tire. 
anyway, uh, <laughs> maybe you can help me focus more specifically <laughs> on what we're getting at. I guess there's vehicles well, and there's other stuff. What would people be pitching in toward, I guess? Yeah. How, well, um, how can they support the mission? Yeah. I mean, so we're, our listeners are going to be all over the world and they're going to hear what we're, what you've done and what you're trying to do. And they're going to hear what your needs are, but how, how can we share with them how they can actually help you get those things that you need that you're giving, you're giving away? Sure. So far and away, almost, almost everything that is needed um, is available one way or another here in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Um, So whether that's repair services or whether that's parts, whether that's diesel or whether that's other items that you need to purchase, they're usually available for sale in stores or, or through websites and so forth in Ukraine. Now, I realize some of that is available because of other shipments kind of behind the scenes on a larger scale that I'm not aware of. But I'm just saying what I don't need is people filling up, you know, uh, 50 shoe boxes with toothpaste. I could just go to the store and give them money into their economy and buy their toothpaste. And then, and then that's, that's best, right. As opposed to to kind of spending the money and the time uh, uh, sending it physically on the, the Facebook group I mentioned that Bakhmut Brad group, there's a link or two around. There's like I said, there's a link tree as well. There's a few different ways people can kind of pitch in and just, just give there logistically. If there is a way, uh, as I mentioned, kind of get my finger better on the pulse of, of kind of aid warehouses and supplies and other donations. Um, I would say that, that animal food is very badly needed coming up with the food necessary for the city citizens of Ukraine is a responsibility of the government of Ukraine. Coming up with enough dog food and cat food for those that have been abandoned and left behind to fend for themselves in pretty hard and and, and very cold circumstances isn't, right? And so for the most part, folks are able to get their hands on enough food to get by. That I'm not I'm not suggesting that it's it's comfortable or or or, um, or no big deal, but that is a priority that is being made one way or another. As much as we are able to do that, um, pet food is entirely optional, and so that's something that we have to just come up with enough kind of donated money to go buy the cheapest bags we can at a store, um, which I do regularly. Or on rare occasion, there's a little pocket from somebody who's donated something through a warehouse in the far west of the country, and then we have to figure out how to get it out here. So. I guess one way or another, by and large, it really is just money. If people have a specific um, kind of goal with that, that they'd like to earmark, leave in a kind of a memo line, they're welcome to do that. But there are there are wood-burning stoves that we buy here and and deliver out to uh, to areas in need. There is, there's firewood also available for sale. For the most part, I think folks ha- have figured out one way or another what kind of clothing and layers they're going to have to make it through the winter at this point. Food is always in need, especially shelf-stable you know, options. Um, yeah. uh, over the Christmas season, actually, there was a Swiss volunteer, and um, he and I ended up delivering 75 bags of uh, fresh fruit um, and some other sweets and things that were such a you know scarcity out here. That was terrific to be able to, to scrounge up and organize and um, get it wholesale and then go bring and, and deliver some just so something simple as oranges and bananas and, and kiwi and apples and so forth. But um, there's a lot of dry goods that come out, understandably so. But uh, so that was nice. I'm trying to think of other specific options. It, it's really kind of the same handful of needs over and over and over <laughs> and over again, right? A lot of repairs, uh, plenty of fuel. And from there, kind of a rotation of needs uh, to be able to give to people. When there's even more available, you know, some people want to um, make larger kind of uh, larger scale purchases, maybe generators, 
or their communication, um, you know, some Starlink connections or whatever else they might want to provide. <laughs> the sky's the limit, and I'm grateful for whatever help can happen. I guess I'll, <laughs> I'll say it that way. Yeah. Um, and you can find, uh, you know, links on the Facebook group of how you how you can pitch in. For sure. Yeah, we will um, include those links as well in our show notes. Um, and then for anybody that's listening, um, you can also go to Facebook and just search Buck McBrad and the group will show up. And then um, the link tree is in there or you can just Google link tree Buck McBrad and it will show up as well. Um, yeah, and thank you. thank you again. Happy birthday. First of all, thank you yes, so much. For thank spending. you for joining us on your birthday, Brad. Yeah. Um, we're really honored me. to have you here and just appreciate everything you're doing. Grateful to tell this story and, um, just hoping our listeners will, will show up and support as well. And, uh, we'll keep an eye on you and, um, yeah, it's been a very important cause for our team and company as well. So we're grateful for everything you're doing and, and glad you're here with us. And you are definitely logistics with purpose in action. So thank you so much for your time and um, for being here. And thanks to everybody who's listening in. And we will catch you for another great episode next time. Have a great day. Thank you both. And thank you all.